Please be seated. Indeed, they were all amazed at the greatness of God. Let us pray. Lord, may your word be a lamp for our feet and the light for our path. Bless us as we share and hear your word. In Jesus' name, let the church of God say amen. Change from glory to glory till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before him, lost in wonder, love, and praise. These are words from a well-known Methodist hymn writer, and his name was... You got that one right. If that was a quiz question on the chase, the Methodists would definitely get that one right. Yes, Charles Wesley. These words from the hymn, Love Divine or Love's Excelling, were the words a Methodist Sunday school teacher used to explain the transfiguration. She said to the children, the transfiguration was the day when Jesus changed from glory to glory on a mountain, and the sight was so beautiful, so bright, so amazing, that the disciples, Peter, James, and John, who were with him on the mountain, were lost in wonder. And the children all went, wow. Amazing. Sunday school teachers are brilliant. They always find a way to make complex Bible teachings sound simple and easy for us to understand. So please, if you know a Sunday school teacher after the service, buy them a chocolate. They're just brilliant. Buy them a chocolate. As we reflect on the account of the Transfiguration, on this Transfiguration Sunday, which is the last Sunday before Lent, may we too be lost in wonder when we catch a glimpse of who Jesus is as we journey with him through Lent. Here is a bit of a background to this passage. Earlier in our gospel passage this morning, Luke implies that there was tension between Jesus and his disciples. In Luke chapter 9, verse 20, after that brilliant confession of faith by Peter, when Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? Peter gave that brilliant confession, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. After that wonderful confession, Jesus began to speak about the cross. Jesus began to speak about his death and his resurrection. He said, the Son of Man must suffer and die, but will rise again on the third day. Now, that did not go down well with Peter. Not the kind of conversation Peter was expecting. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, in another account, we are told that Peter protested the idea of the cross, and there was a sharp exchange between him and Jesus, an exchange in which Jesus rebuked him with the words, get thee behind me. You, Satan. Peter was expecting a prominent role in some kind of a political establishment, but Jesus' agenda was to establish a spiritual kingdom, bringing God's kingdom of peace on earth as it is in heaven. It is tough, very tough, when this kind of tension hangs around in the Christian community when this kind of tension hangs around in the home or also in the world. For weeks we have witnessed tensions between Ukraine and Russia, 
tension that have led to full-scale war, a war that threatens the peace and stability of our world. It is tough when we all cannot think alike. The disciples were clearly not on the same page with Jesus about his suffering and his death. Jesus' words about his death has left the disciples anxious about their own future. They were disappointed. They were confused. They were frustrated. They struggled to accept the program of Jesus. They struggled to accept the agenda of Jesus. They struggled with all these things because this agenda of Jesus was not in line with what they were thinking, was not in sync with their own selfish thinking. But don't we all? Don't we all struggle at times to accept God's call and God's program for our lives, especially when it doesn't align with our own program? Don't we all struggle at times? It was in this atmosphere of tension. It was in this state of wrestling with God that Luke opens up our lectionary reading for today that Amma read for us so beautifully. He said, after eight days... After eight days of silence, after eight days of tension, it appears as if everybody was just keeping to themselves and reflecting on what was going on. But after eight days of tension and silence, Jesus speaks and offers an invitation to the disciples, inviting them to go to the mountain for a prayer retreat. Amazing words after that. Go to the mountain for a prayer retreat. In the tension and conflict unfolding in our world, we see and we hear world leaders calling for prayer. Our own prime minister, in his address to the nation, assured the people of Ukraine of our prayers. He said, I quote in that address, in this moment of agony, we are with you. We are praying for you. And we are praying for your family. May we keep this promise. May we keep this promise to hold them in our prayers and support causes that will alleviate their sufferings. Friends, is there tension anywhere? Is there trouble anywhere? Yes, there is. But we are encouraged to take them all to the Lord in prayer, to take them all to God in our prayers. Jesus invited three disciples, and now this morning, all of us here at Methodist Central Westminster is inviting all of us, all of us, to pray. Because prayer is the key. Transfiguration Sunday brings us to the starting line of Lent, an open invitation for us to climb on a mountain with Jesus, an open invitation for us to go to that place where we will climb on a mountain with Jesus, to journey with him, to fast and pray, to subject our flesh to the will of the Spirit. This is the opportunity we are faced with in Lent, so that perhaps we too, we too might just catch a glimpse of that mysterious change from glory to glory, a glimpse of his divine nature at the top of a mountain of Lent when we pray and when we fast. And that mountain of transfiguration, as Jesus prayed in the presence of his tired disciples who were half asleep, who were tired, nodding because of the steep climb that they had just done. In the presence of these disciples, his face lit up, his clothes became dazzling white. And as this dazzling display was going on, two historic figures, 
Moses, the representation of the law, and Elijah, the representation of the prophet, they both appear on the mountain and they were talking to Jesus. They were talking to Jesus about that journey to Jerusalem, which will ultimately lead to Calvary, which will finally end as Golgotha, where Jesus will be crucified to pay for our peace, to pay for our sin. That place where Jesus will be crucified to bring peace between the Ukrainians and the Russians. The presence of Moses and Elijah in that conversation with Christ overwhelmed Peter, James, and John. But while all this was going on, a voice spoke right on from the cloud saying, this is my son, not that one, not that one, not the other one over there, not the very loud one, but this one is my son whom I love. Listen to him. You see, the unforgettable mountaintop experience of the transfiguration gave the disciples a visible but also an audible proof of who Jesus Christ told them he is. The whole purpose of the transfiguration was to reinforce the staggering and waving faith of these disciples. As we stagger and waver in our own faith as well, we might need that revelation from God to help us to anchor our faith in him. Rock of ages, to put our rocks deep, our roots deep into the rocks of Christ so that we will stand, that when the storms of life's blowing, we will be able to stand. And the transfiguration provided that for those three core disciples who would take the message of Christ forward after the death of Jesus Christ. And it worked. Because after the glorious display, the chief protester, Peter, he abandoned his worldly desires of setting up a political kingdom for a divine spiritual community. He offered to build three tents. He offered to build a community up in the mountain. I wasn't quite sure how I was going to do that. It sounds as if Peter took his DIY tools with him wherever he goes, because I'm not sure how he was going to build the tents up there. But you know what? With Peter, anything could happen. He wanted to stay on the mountain, but God wanted him to move on. To stay in a place when God wants us to move on is disastrous. Again, to move when God wants us to stay can be catastrophic. The key to a fulfilled life in Christ is to listen, to listen to Jesus, to listen to his son that he's given unto us. No wonder Pope Francis said, I quote, the whole message of transfiguration is to follow Christ and to listen to him. I know a two-year-old boy who is not very good at listening yet, and that's my own grandson. The other day, I took him to the park, and I told him, don't climb the park bench. And you know what? He ran off me, knowing fully well that I can't keep up. <laughs> he ran off me, and by the time I got to him, he's climbing the park bench, and he fell. And he was crying. I picked him up, and I rubbed the pain better, and I comforted him. And I said to him, learn to listen. Learn to listen to granddad. How many times have we tripped and fall over in life just because we fail to listen to our heavenly granddad? 
How many times have we fallen in life and trip because we fail to listen to our Heavenly Father? We can save ourselves a lot of pain. We can save ourselves a lot of tears, just like my grandson, if only we will master the act of listening to God. Peter felt so good about the glimpse and the mountaintop experience that he wanted to stay longer but he eventually listened and followed Jesus' instruction to get back down the mountain. Down the plains, there are work to be done, people to care for, new good news to share, evangelism and witness to do. May we listen to the one who says, go. Go and make disciples, and I will be with you as you do it. But mind you, there are other voices out there. Voices who says we cannot evangelize, we cannot witness in this postmodern age. Faith is private. We are to keep it to ourselves. Just like Peter, let's keep it on this mountain. Let's keep it in the four walls of this church. If people want, they will come to us. But let's just keep it here. Well, not according to the person God says we should listen to. Because Jesus says to each and every one of us to go and make disciples. Recently, we've seen new people coming into the church here because some of our brothers and sisters in the church are sharing their faith with others, helping people to develop relationship with Christ. Let us all continue to listen and to respond to Jesus' call to go and make disciples. Peter, James, and John listened, and they came down the mountain with Jesus. Down the mountain, they were met with chaos a demanding crowd. Among the crowd was a frightened father with a sick boy and a bunch of helpless disciples unable to heal the sick boy, a bunch of disciples unable to cope with the demand and the pressure of a world that is starving, starving for some kind of divine transfiguration that we all need. But the presence of Jesus brought order. It brought order into the chaos. Jesus said to the father, bring the boy to me. Bring your son here. You see, Jesus can do what we cannot do. What the disciples could not do, Jesus can do. Jesus offers us that opportunity to bring to him. He is the God who is able to do exceedingly far more than we could ever imagine. He offers us to bring, to bring to him what is broken to bring to him what is falling apart in our lives, to bring the sick, to bring the needs of others. Bring him to me, Jesus said to this frightened father who wanted healing for his only child. Who do you seek healing for today? Your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, that neighbor, that only child, who do you seek healing for this morning? Jesus says, bring him to me. Bring that boy to me. We can do the same this morning by bringing them to Jesus. In the book of 2 Kings chapter 5, the man Naaman, a general, he was a Syrian general, but he had leprosy. He was sent by his country through the foreign affairs to go to Israel to the king to go for healing. And when he appeared to the king, listen to what the king of Israel said. He responded, am I God? Which implies that only God is able to do what Naaman was asking for at the time. Naaman was sent to Elijah. He is a man of God. 
a prophet. The prophet prayed and heard from God on how Naaman would be healed. It wasn't how Naaman expected it to happen, but he eventually obeyed the word of the prophet, and he was healed. For some of us, healing might come not the way we expect this morning. For some of us, it might be instant. For others, it's progressive. Over the years, we get better. But the key is to put ourselves and the people who are unwell that we so care about into the hands of Jesus in prayer this afternoon because it's after 12 now if you watch your time. He is the God who is able, able to do the impossible. I finish this reflection of this message with a story from a man that we will know here. His name was Dr. William Sangster. He was a powerful Methodist preacher who was superintendent minister here from 1937 right up to 1955. We are told thousands of people came to the great hall in here to listen to Dr. William preach the word of God. Cues will be outside waiting to get him to hear him preach. He was such a brilliant preacher, bringing revival. Oh, I pray that such revival will return again to British Methodism, where people will be queuing outside to come and hear Reverend Tony Miles preach. Somebody say hallelujah to that. People will be queuing to come and listen to Dick and Ali preach. Somebody say hallelujah to that. We should pray for those things. People queue to just come and hear this man preach. In this little book that I have here, it's only one pound 75. It's not expensive at all. In this little book, Dr. Sangsa spoke about a time when he took his four-year-old boy to the hospital for a small procedure. Took his son to the hospital for a small procedure. Hearing the other children screaming in the hospital, the frightened four-year-old boy asked Dr. Williams, saying, Daddy, must I go in there? Will it hurt? Sangster said to his son, I must not save you from this. You will understand someday. And when the moment came, he handed over his son, firmly into the hands of a competent nurse for an experience that he knew will be painful, but needed. Sangster had the faith, the faith to put his son into the hands of a competent nurse. And few weeks after the procedure, the boy was feeling better. Few weeks after the procedure, he said in this book, the boy was back to his usual self. Jesus is far more competent than a competent nurse. And he's asking us this morning, this afternoon, to put into his hands those situations and circumstances in our lives that have gone beyond human maintenance. He said to this desperate father, bring your boy to me. Not to Lansford, not to Allison who will be leading our prayer, not to any of us, but we are bringing those things in front of the one who hung on the cross, who cried on the cross, who said it is finished, who paid the price. It is to him that we bring our prayers for healing and our prayers for our needs this afternoon. The frightened father in our gospel put his son into the hands of Jesus and Jesus healed the boy and he gave him back to his father. Friends, whatever we put in the hands of God, whether we put in the hands of Jesus, 
whatever we bring to Jesus, no matter how broken, no matter how smashed, no matter the pieces that we have, no matter how broken they are, he takes it from us. He takes them from us. And when he gives it back, it's never the same. An example of this is the transformation he has made in your life, the transformation he has made in my life. Once we were lost in sin, but now we are found. And so finally, as I finished, on this Transfiguration Sunday, Jesus offers an invitation, an invitation for you and me to bring to him the burdens, the pain, the hurt that we carry. Let him deal with it. He is the Lord of life, and we can come to him knowing that our God is able. Amen. And now we're going to sing. We sing together, Lord of life, we come to you, Lord of all, our Savior be. Let's stand and sing, please.